Looking to tailgate this summer? Stop by One Stop on the way. One Stop number 6, located just one mile west of East Forsyth at 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. One Stop serves fresh fried chicken and our famous taters seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Feeding a crowd? Get 16 pieces of chicken and sides for just $27.99. Craving wings? Come try our new spicy breaded wings. Get a five-wing meal with six taters and a roll for just $7.99. $7.39. Now in regular hot ranch or spicy. One stop number 6, 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. Charlotte out of timeout. Nobody out in the first and didn't score. Second and third, one out in the second and didn't score. Smith, Corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. Welcome to the score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman joined, not this morning by James Wilson, but instead by Christian Avi, my good friend, uh, with the Carolina Disco Turkeys. But uh, he's here to talk about some hockey. Uh, Christian, the Hurricanes went back to Tampa down 2-0. I think a lot of us thought this was a club that Maybe it wasn't dead to rights, but the, the, the chances were slimming heading to Tampa down 2-0, but the team made a statement the other night. Yeah, Brett. Uh, first, thanks for having me on. I'm really glad to talk some hockey with you. I know that you're one of the more knowledgeable hockey people I know, so very happy to be able to share some of my takes that I've been uh, storing up all postseason, all season long. Um, but, yeah, uh, as far as, you know, the other night went, <laughs> I can't say I expected it to be much of a different game than the first two uh, games at home. I think it was just um, the Canes really needed to get some bounces to go their way. And they were able to um, in that game three in Tampa. Uh, and to be honest, it kind of seemed like it was going mostly the same way other than that they just got scoring first. And that's really all that changed for the most part. Obviously, they let a couple goals in you know, later into the game to allow Tampa to get back in it um, and, and tie it up, send it to overtime. But overall, I was pretty impressed with what I saw. You know, not, again, nothing too much different happened. Uh, just other than the bounces started to go their way and they started to get some results. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that this team has been close, right? We, we, we've, you and I have talked about it kind of in just in, in general conversation. This team's been close and I think the only difference, the biggest difference the other night was a change in net, as you and I know, can a lot of times bring a club life. Uh, Peter Morazic being between the pipes, I think, jolted everybody up to a degree. 
Yeah, it, it definitely did. Um, and as much as I hate to say it, you know, Peter Mrazek's a great goaltender. Um, I still think Alex Andelkovich is the guy. You know, I, I think the ideal situation for this team is to be able to bring them both back, whatever happens in this postseason. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll both be okay with that. I don't know what Peter's thoughts are on, on you know, wanting to be a starter versus being a backup or what all that's going on. But, um, uh, and, and as much as, yeah, it did provide some life, it did spark the team a little bit, um, Alex Adelkovich was doing a great job in those first two games. It was just those couple of unfortunate goals that I think maybe the veteran presence of Peter helped helped kind of eliminate those because Tampa really, their only goals in game three were really, really good power play goals. Uh, Peter didn't really give up anything like janky that Alex Adelkovich kind of ended up doing. So um, I love Ned. I think he's the guy for the team moving forward. And I think, you know, Maybe, maybe they'll end up maybe even going back to him in a couple of games. Um, that worked out really well in 2018-19. In I hate, you know, saying what worked well then will work well now because it's completely different. But um, the team did switch up their goaltenders throughout throughout the, the playoffs, and maybe that'll be what they end up deciding to do this time around too. You know, there's not a lot of teams that follow that model in the postseason. You know, you look at uh, at uh, Washington in 18, you look at St. Louis in 19, you look at Tampa Bay last year in the bubble, you, you find your guy. And look, as I well know, St. Louis in 19, Jake Allen spent all of, you know, six and a half minutes in net for, for St. Louis. And that was at the end of a blowout in game three of the cup final. But prior to that and after that, did not see any action in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, you know, for Carolina, as you talked about in 19 in that run, kind of alternated off, and, and for them it worked. And I agree with you. I, I think Alex Nedeljkovic is most certainly the guy, but in, in this case, in Game 3, you you needed, you needed to shake things up a little bit because... I think if anything, Alex needed a little bit of a, a, a confidence boost. And when you see somebody like Peter go in there and do what he does, you know, in, in my mind, I, I, I think the other guy sits there and goes, okay, I'm, I'm watching, I'm taking notes. I can go out there and I can do the same thing. And everybody playing in front of him knows they have to step it up a notch um, because they did the same for Peter. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think that's uh, like what you said about just having something a little bit different. That's sort of what uh, Rod Brindamore's explanation was, I think, is he just wanted to provide just a different look to Tampa um, because, you know, Morozik and Delkovich do not play the same kind of goal goaltending. Like Morozik's a little bit bigger, um, not like the biggest goalie, obviously, but he Ned is more of a play the puck kind of guy and, and can which has gotten him in trouble even in this series. Um, and whereas Morozik is more of a stay at home, <laughs> not what we saw when he got hit in Toronto last year, um, but uh, more of a stay at home kind of aggressive with his poke checks and things like that, but not necessarily with playing the puck moving it around. So I, I think that that was definitely part of it. Um, and, and who knows, even if he'll continue to be the starter in that, I imagine he will for game four. Um, I, I would think so. Look, the, the way I kind of see things going is if if you can even it up going back to Carolina, Alex Nedeljkovic is certainly a net for game five, but I, do, so? I, 
I, I think we'd be remiss if we said that he's the guy for the rest of the series. Like you said, it, it's kind of an alternating off. And look, if if Peter plays out of his mind in game four, he probably earns another start. But yeah. I, I think we'd be remiss if we said that Nigel, Nigelkovic wasn't the favorite to be the starter in game five. Not that he's necessarily a lock at this point. And I think something that's also very interesting that has to be kind of be taken into account is that this is really uh, a best in both scenarios situation for the Canes to kind of pick between because, you know, Nadelkovic has been pretty much the guy all year. Um, the team has been playing in front of him the most, but Mrazek, when he was healthy, was really, really good. And, and that's something that I think, you know, thankfully, you know, uh, the other night he was able to be really good. Um, I was a little bit worried, not going to lie, because th- when he kind of got back into the swing of things during the season, he was a little bit rusty. Um, but I'm guessing in the practice and time, he's been able to be healthy with the team. Um, he's been able to work out the kinks and, and, and get it going. So uh, I'm really excited to see kind of kind of how it plays out in game four and uh, the rest of the series now that we're definitely guaranteed hockey back in Raleigh. Yeah, you're, you're at least guaranteed a game five. And th- that that is by far the important part of this. What needs to happen in game four in your mind to get this thing back to Raleigh even? Um, I, I think I'm going to agree with the team and say it just needs to be more of the same. Um, they, they, I think it was either Jordan Stahl or Jacob Slavin. I can't remember exactly who said it, but uh, they said, you know, we just need to beat them to the pox. We need to, which is so, you know, stereotypical, but it's, it's so cliche, but it's absolutely, it's, it's what, absolutely correct. It's what they have to do. I mean, Tampa and they need to take less penalties. That's for certain. Um, I, I, I think that that penalty kill had been doing pretty well uh, so far against Tampa, but when you're missing some depth scores, like they have now in uh, missing, you know, Nita Ryder, Vincent Trocek, and Warren Fogle, who's probably not going to play game four. I mean, we have no idea for sure, but um, I don't really see a way that really any of those guys get back in time. Um, with a, I'm pretty sure Nino didn't even make the trip. So they really need to figure out a way to stop Tampa from, you know, putting up four goals on them, which they have been doing well so far. So that's even, you know, it, keep doing what they're doing. Um see if they can get anyone else to do some depth scoring. Ajo has been awesome so far this series. Um, Jordan Stahl has been pretty good too. Uh, but it'd be really huge if Svechnikov could get going. They, they went back to the SAT line uh, in game three. And it'd be really good to see that continue into game four um, and, and get that line even clicking it even a little bit more. Because I don't, from what I remember, they did not spend as much time together this season as they have in the past. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I feel like needs to happen. They need to figure out a way to get that line to produce a little bit more, see if they can hit an extra gear, even though they've been great so far, um, and and just continue to do what they've been doing on defense uh, and try to take a little bit less penalties if you can because Tampa's going to cash in on them more likely than not. If there's any team that it's the most important to stay out of the box against, it, it's, it's, the it's Tampa. Tampa. Yeah. It's the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't think there's any doubt about that, Christian. Uh, let's... Uh, Let's look at the rest of the NHL while we got a chance here. Uh, Bruins leading 2-1 against the Isles. So we go into game four of that series. Brad Marchand had the OT winner uh, the other night in, in the uh, first game of that series out on Long Island. But I don't think you can count these Islanders out. We, You and I both know from watching 
uh, this club just generally over the season, what kind of a scrappy bunch they are. I I think this can still go seven, and I think it will. Uh, But I want to hear what you think. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to have to be honest with with you and the the listeners. I have not paid much attention to the East Division. I think um, given that most of it is the Metropolitan Division, I hate probably uh, 75% of the teams in that division. Um, So I've been trying not to watch them as much as possible. But, you know, there's some really good hockey being played over there. And um, the Bruins are scary, man. They're in a really interesting test scenario because a lot of times you know you talk about how the team that's the hottest going in the playoffs is the one that's going to be favored well the Bruins haven't really been all that hot going in the playoffs they started off okay and then had a rough you know end of the season but man they've got a lot of talent and 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 that probably will ultimately be what decides this series I can see it going seven um you know, I don't want to count out the Islanders because I really don't think that anyone should. They're a really good team. Obviously, they, they made the playoffs. They defeated the Penguins, you know. In a division, in a division that's so close, nothing can be counted out. Um, but the Bruins really seem to be on their game right now. And I'd be really curious to see, you know, again, same thing with the uh, the Kane series, although it's gotten there a little differently. The record's still 2-1, and anything can happen in Game 4. The Islanders are at home. Uh, and, and that place can be a really tough place to play, you know, again, flashing back to 18, 19, cause that was the last time we had home crowds, um, in the playoffs, y- y- there was a visible difference between the road games that happened, uh, when the, I guess it was the, was it the penguins again? Yeah, year? it was, it was, Pittsburgh, it was the yeah. Penguins again. yeah, it was Pittsburgh. Dang, that's a, that's a tough draw. Um, in, in the home games that happened at Nassau Coliseum versus the ones that happened in Barclays center in Brooklyn. So, you know, anything can happen there, really. It, it's, a, it's a magical place for the Islanders. And, you know, I, I, I love to watch Game 7 hockey if it's not my team. So I'd be thrilled if it went 7. But, man, Boston's really got everyone going right now. So it'd be, it'd be really hard to see, you know, them, them not. If, if they're able to win Game 4, I think it's pretty much over. But, well, you know, the, the thing for the, back, we'll see. Yeah, the thing for the Isles is right now they've got to get uh, – Barzal's going – uh, JGP's going. They've got to get the guys behind him going, and they've got to have Varlamov on his game. Not that he hasn't been, but he's pretty much got to see everything a little bit more, and, and they got to play better in front of him. And I think they got to get. They've got one of the be- better defensive cores in hockey. They've got to get them a little bit more involved offensively. I think that can make a difference. You know, I, I think the Islanders' decor as a whole a little bit better than Boston's, especially now that Boston doesn't have a Chara or a Tory Krug. Um, mm-hmm the Islanders decor as a whole better and they've got to get more involved offensively because it's just not cutting it right now. Uh, Habs Jets uh, up in Canada off to a pretty fast start in game one uh, and game two later on tonight. Um, Mark Shifley's hit very clearly was, I don't know if you could say intentional, but it was dirty and it doesn't belong in the game. But there are reports that from the Jets bench saying it was Jake Evans' fault because he had his head down when he's trying to score an empty net goal. Now, I get it. Mark Shifley's back-checking. He's trying to prevent an empty net goal to put the game away. But, I mean, you, you saw the hit. You saw where he led with the shoulder. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think anybody in Winnipeg is, is you know, going to be honest with you about this hit. They might. If, if they're a true 
fan of the sport, they'll tell you, yeah, that shouldn't happen. Um, but that, in my opinion, that was pretty much worse than the Tom Wilson hit that like started the whole Rangers ruckus earlier in the early in the year. I don't like Tom Wilson. I think he's a dirty player, and I don't think he's great for the, uh, the game of hockey. But um, I do think that him Yankee pair down the ice was probably an accident. This I don't think was an accident. I I think um, you know the big discussion that's been in the media has been he should have played the puck. He could have played the puck. He could have played the puck. And and maybe I I don't think he could have played the puck, but. Uh, he didn't. He didn't have to level him in the head. Okay? No, he didn't. He didn't. And you know, he's already basically scored the goal by the time the hit is delivered. So, and and you see him if you watch the video, he's tracking him down the ice to hit him behind the net. And uh, it's probably just to scare him and make him make him think twice about it. But at the same time, you know, I don't think he can follow through with it like that. And it's just really tough to watch just how he gets literally leveled and and he did target the shoulder or he used his shoulder to target the head um the head was the principal point of contact that that's the important part that player safety when they do their job uh which they didn't with tom wilson um when player safety does their job that's what they look at where's the principal point of contact it was the head that's Mm -hmm. that's how you get that in-person hearing that's how you get four game suspension i think was it's what i expected and and it's what happened um well, well deserved for sure. Um, I do want to give before we hop out a tremendous amount of respect to Nikolai Ehlers. Um, I don't know if, if anybody saw this, but there's yeah. a photo that's been going around of where he is literally holding off the scrum of both teams because he saw the kind of shape Jake Evans was in, and right. he is on all fours, basically holding off the scrum, and then on his own went to get more medical attention for his opponent. So that's. That's that's respecting the game right there. That, yeah, that, that, just, that's what it means. Just a totally you know classy, unnecessary play, but very much uh, uh, looking out for for just the guys on the ice and and understanding kind of what happened. Um, and, and before, just to not just talk about the hit uh, about this series, I really like this series, man. I, I this love is going to be fun because it's it's, I, it's I really not so. it's not the two teams we expected to be in this position out of that division, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, just given the 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 situation in the the state of the Maple Leafs organization, I kind of expected uh, Montreal to win it as soon as they got it to Game Six. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't really expect Winnipeg to come out over the Oilers. I'm I'm really excited about this because you know they're both teams that can can grind you out, but they both also have a lot of talent that's underrated. I mean Montreal especially. Look at both uh, are really really skilled. Look at a guy like Nick Suzuki. What he did. That's night. exactly how I was going to mention. That dude is awesome, man. He is so good. And and you know just to flashback to Canes a little bit. I am so excited for his little brother to be on our team in a couple of years. Yep he is, he is in the he's with the Wolves right now, right? And out in Chicago. Yep. So yeah, he's he, he's coming. Uh, Christian, thanks so much for coming on and talking some Stanley Cup playoffs with us. Really appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. When we come back, Steve Wiseman of the Raleigh News and Observer on to talk about the biggest news of the week on Tobacco Road, which you might have heard about next. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Joined here this morning by the great Steve Wiseman, who, to answer your next question, if you listened a few weeks ago, yes, we are related. Uh, Steve is the beat writer 
for all things Duke Athletics for the Raleigh News and Observer. And as you all well know, Coach K has announced this will be his final season. Steve's here to join us uh, to talk all things Coach K. How you doing? I am doing well, Brett. I hope you are. Doing well, Steve. Um, I, I want to ask you this first because, you know, I, I think a lot of us, it, it caught a lot of us by surprise. And you're you're co- closer to to Coach K than a lot of other people. What, was this something that he had at least hinted at at some point or – he had, um, and I think I may have shared with you, he, he had told me, you know, he was going to coach next year. Like there was no question he was going to do that. And I knew that he was planning to have a, a farewell tour. Like whenever he decided to step aside, he was going to announce it ahead of time and then have a year to prepare his replacement for, for the for the job. Army style. That's what they do in the military, right? They have a replacement come in, work side by side with the guy he's replacing, and then the, the guy retires and steps out. So that was always what he was going to do. I didn't know it was going to be this year. I mean, I was uh, that was something new that uh, that came about in the last couple weeks here, where he decided, you know what, this is it. I, I you know, I'm ready to step aside next year. I don't want to do it right now. I do it next year. So that's kind of how this all came came to be. So did did it start coming to fruition at least in the past couple of weeks? I I I assumed it wasn't like a spur of the moment kind of decision. Right. No, it it was definitely in the last couple of weeks where he started having conversations with Kevin White, the outgoing AD, uh, and the incoming AD Nina King, who's going to replace Kevin White, who's retiring. She's going to replace him September first, and then also obviously the president, Duke's president Vince Price. Uh, and, 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 you know, it started with Coach K and his wife, Mickey, you know, went on vacation a couple of weeks ago and and had this decision. You know, they first started broaching, I think, about six weeks ago. I know they spent a week in Vegas, you know, talking about things, and that's where he likes to get away to. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it started really getting more serious to where he kind of decided, you know, this is it. Uh, uh, because he can't uh, – he couldn't recruit – for the class of 2022 and tell those kids, Hey, come to do, come play for me. When he knew there's a good chance he wasn't going to be coaching. Then he, right. then he kind of started to turn that page in his mind. So uh, that's really what was the crux of this decision. So in talking about, you know, the, the plan was always to get a, a coach in waiting, so to speak. Did, did when he started, you know, when he started to formulate in his mind that this was going to be it, was John Shire the guy the whole yeah. time? Or Yes, that's something that, you know, you couldn't get uh, somebody else to come in. I mean, they would have had to leave their job, you know, come be an assistant, you know, coach and waiting. You know, Jeff Capel has an out clause in his contract at Pittsburgh that he could have left with no buyout, no anything, and just come to Duke and been an assistant again for a year and prepared to replace Coach K. And that's not something, you know, they, they wanted – John Shire had been kind of groomed for this a little bit. I mean, and, and when, you know, uh, you know Nate James left uh, earlier this year to go be the head coach at Austin P. Uh, that kind of cleared the path, too. Uh, he was the one guy that had a little more experience than, than John. But John had shown Coach K – that he could do it, that he thought he could handle it. And so that was, 
and also John was, uh, you know, familiar with uh, Kevin White and Nina King and everybody. They all think the world of him and decided that this was the guy that's going to replace Coach K and that he could handle it. I, I personally, I don't think there's a better guy to fill that seat because, I mean, even you look at what he did as a player, he almost acted as as a player coach out there because he was that intelligent and that that knowledgeable of what Coach K expected of, of him and everybody else. I don't think there's anybody better to fill that seat. I agree. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, had this happened, it would have been Capel. I think that he would have been a better choice at that at that point. Uh, but, you know, John, uh, you know, he was part of the, uh, as you talked about, his experience on the court leading them to that championship. Um, and then he played a little bit of, of, uh, of pro ball, got hurt, got, got his eye poked out almost and, and had to quit basketball because of it and uh, became an assistant, was part of the 2015 championship team. He was on the bench then as a full assistant, really got into the recruiting and showed a lot of prowess there. Um and then he became an associate head coach in 2018 when, when Capel left and went to Pitt. And so he really he really has everything you want, except he's 33 and he's not been <laughs> not been a head coach, right? And that used to be a, a deal killer for a lot of things. And it's not so much anymore. Think about the way basketball is. You're seeing this happen more and more, where he, even in other sports, baseball, uh, where, where guys come off the field and a few years later, they're a head coach or a manager. And so like, uh, guys like David you know, Ross or uh, uh, who yeah. else? Yeah. Yeah. Brad Ospice did that in uh, in baseball, right? He was right. Uh, so it does happen. And, uh, uh, you know, John relates with the next generation of kids uh, better than Coach K can because he's 75. They're going to be 75. Well, and see, so, that's, that's the yeah. thing for me is uh, I, I think – I don't think there was – a better guy aside from all that, you know, recruiting wise to get this next generation, somebody that could also tell kids, Hey, I know what it was like to play here. I know what, I know what the traditions like. I know what's expected. Come here and you will win. Right. It was going to be somebody in the Duke family to, to do this. There's no question. Um, you know, for a while there, it may have been Steve Wojciechowski, but he went to Marquette and, got fired. Uh, he, you know, he had a little minimal success and got fired. Really nobody else in the family has, we, we've talked about this for, for years now, last few years here. Anyway, nobody has emerged as the guy. Nobody did it right. Nobody went out on their own and proved like Roy Williams did for Carolina, right? He went to Kansas, yep. had huge success. He was going to be the guy and nobody did that from the Duke family, uh, of all the guys that have been out there coaching. Some have had some success. Chris Collins took Northwestern to the tournament. Maybe backslid a little bit. Bobby Hurley's doing some things at Arizona State, but hasn't won big enough. So anyway, uh, so yeah, it just kind of opened the door for, here's John right here, who's been working side-by-side -side with Coach K. And by the way, Coach K's not going away. He's still going to be around. So it'll be John's program after next season, but it's not like he'll be out, you know, out there floating in the ocean by himself. He's going to have Coach K right there by his side. But Coach K is just not going to be, you know, technically involved with the program. He's just kind of going to be in the shadow, so to speak, I guess you would say. Correct. Yes, he will be. His new role will be like, you know, a university ambassador. He's going to work with the, the president of the school and be, you know, involved in what he's already been doing. Let's face it. He he goes and talks to classes and 
mentors, uh, uh, people at the medical school, you know, just about leadership. Right. And so that, that'll be his role, but you know, he'll be, he'll keep, you know, he'll keep his distance and let John be the coach. I mean, there's no question about that, but if John needs something, I mean, he's going to be right there. So that won't be a problem. And that's, that's big to just have, have him to have him there to, to bounce stuff off of one more thing on coach K before we get to Duke baseball. Um, did Roy's decision start moving the wheels, so to speak, a little bit more in Coach K's mind, or did did that I, not factor into his decision at all? No, that's no. He he was doing this on his own. Um, because that's something know, I've seen a lot of people say is that like, okay, Roy's out now. I have nobody to compete against, or some kind of argument like that. I, I don't think that had anything to do with it. No, because so. like Beheim's still there, and I mean, you know, he, I mean, Georgia Tech won the ACC, so no, he's he, he's too competitive. He would have had no problem with with you know competing against Hubert Davis, and and again, uh, you know, he and Beheim are really good friends, so I mean, he, he's going to miss that that back and forth with with Jimmy B uh, when they play Syracuse. So, uh, no, I don't, I I haven't gotten that feeling. Nobody's told me that. Nobody's that's not that's not come up at all. Uh, that 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 the Roy thing kind of got him thinking about it, but I think more so. I mean, it really it wasn't it wasn't the pandemic here. He talked about this a little bit yesterday, and I actually talked to him on the phone yesterday morning uh, before the press conference, and he um, uh, he just said he he really focused on the recruiting thing that I can't go into these the living rooms and talk to these kids, and they ask me if I'm going to be their coach, and I can't lie to them. He said, you know, that's that's part of his army upbringing, the, the honor, the code of conduct, the honor code. You can't, you know, you can't fudge the truth. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the West Point upbringing. And so he had to be honest with him and say, no, I'm not going to be a coach. And he will be able to not recruit this year. John's going to do all the recruiting, John and Chris Carwell and Nolan Smith. And Coach K can just focus on this year's team and work with him in the offseason through the summer. He's not going to be on the road. He can work with his kids as much as he can. And he can put everything he wants to into this final season. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, Steve Wiseman, as all of you know, is the guy for all things do, closer to Coach K than anybody else, and nobody better to talk to about this big, big-time news. Well, we still got some time here. Uh, Duke, who was not expected to be, Duke baseball that is, not expected to be in the NCAA tournament at this time, uh, is now, and they are in the NCAA regionals this weekend. They've got Liberty um, today. What are we expecting, and how in the world did they pull off this run in Charlotte that got him here? <laughs> this has been Chris Pollard, the coach there, uh, modus operandi for them. They, they'll struggle some early in the season. They'll finally get their bearings, but they do not quit. And that, this is what's happened the last, the last couple of times they've been in the tournament where, you know, they've gone on the road. They've been on the road for all the regionals and super regionals, for that matter. And uh, and they'll come out of nowhere and and do it. And in, in 19, the last time they had a tournament, they did this kind of similar thing where they were kind of middling around 500 in the middle of April and went on this this streak late. And then, and then you know, earned enough wins to get into the tournament. And then won a regional at, at uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, then went to Vanderbilt and took them to the final game before Vanderbilt won, and then they won the national championship. So this is kind of what they do, and they're very tough-minded. 
and uh, uh, it's 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 really admirable to see how they've done this because three weeks ago they weren't even in the picture for making the tournament, and they, they ripped off um, uh, nine wins in a row and then went to the tournament and won four more. So here they are getting ready to play over in Tennessee against you know Liberty's good, but Tennessee's one of the best teams in the country, so. It won't be easy at all, but uh, I think we've learned not to count Duke out on base in baseball. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. This this is a tough regional to come out of because talk about one of the top 10, 15 teams in the country right here in, in, in Tennessee. But when you went into the ACC tournament as a nine seed and able to win games, especially the championship game against NC State, win games in the in the low scoring fashion that they were able to out in Charlotte that prepares you to go against a, a pitching elite team in Tennessee. Right. D- Duke can pitch and they can play defense and those things will play anywhere in a, in a, in a, in a tournament setting because it's the mistakes that the other team makes that, that lead, you know, to, to who wins the game. Right. So if you don't give them any free offense, which, which Duke has proven not, to, not to do the fact that, you know, in these tournaments to get to a championship game and have somebody like Cooper Stinson ready to go, and it's, it, who can you know shove for eight nine innings there right and 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 win one to nothing? You don't see one to nothing games in college baseball ever, particularly in a championship game of a conference tournament when usually everybody's pitching's been expended right. So here they are. Uh, so they have deep pitching staff, which even if they somehow, you know, they're going to have to beat Tennessee twice, and uh, I think. And so uh, if they even if they lose them on Saturday, they would maybe have the pitching to come back and win Sunday and Monday and get it done. I mean, that that's an advantage that not a lot of other clubs have in that they can hold on to their Friday night starter until the last game of the conference tournament or the last one to two games of the regionals and throw their Friday night starter out there for seven to eight innings. That, that's an advantage that not a lot of other clubs have that Duke has. For sure. Yeah, they have depth and... Um, and they have people behind Cooper, you know, uh, the Fox kid that, that threw so well on in the semifinals. Uh, he's a freshman, and he's somebody who's come along during the season and got here at the end, and he's pitching like a veteran. So, um, yeah, pitching will pitching will dictate what happens, and uh, they seem to have plenty of it. Well, it's not that this club doesn't have offense either, Steve. Before we let you go, uh, who are some guys that we can watch for uh, this weekend to make an impact with the bat? Well, the catcher, Michael Rothenberg, who had a huge ACC tournament, he had the walk-off home run to beat Miami to get him to the semifinals, uh, is, is is one of the better catchers in the country. In fact, you know, they didn't expect to have him this year because he was supposed to play last year and go into the draft, and he decided to, you know, to use the extra year to come back and play one more time for Duke instead of going pro this year. So that tells you the kind of talent he has. That's a guy you got to watch out for, Chris Crabtree, RJ Shrek, um, they they have they have a pretty good lineup too, and they've they've shown they can win uh, slugfest. They can win you know pitching. So you know it, when when these these projections first came out for the tournament, they were looking to be like a three seed at best, and they played their way into a two seed. Um, so here they are, ready to go, and uh, and we'll see. It's tough battle against Tennessee, but they've got the team that can beat them. Exactly. As you said, this is a team that doesn't quit. They battle, they scrap at bats, they make things tough for, you know, even the best teams out there. So not often do we talk about Duke in any sport as as a Cinderella story or an underdog, (laughs) but 
that this is that case. Steve Wiseman of the Raleigh News and Observer, all things Duke sports. Thanks for coming on to talk uh, the biggest news of the week on Tobacco Road for sure. Glad to do it, Brett. Take care of yourself, man. Thanks, Steve. You too. When we come back, uh, we have some more baseball to talk about, this time at the pro level. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside you this morning. Pleased to be joined by head coach of the Carolina Disco Turkeys, of whom you might know I'm the co-voice of. Kurt Cabana, how are you doing this morning, Coach? I'm, I'm doing great, Brett. Thanks so much. So, Coach, we've uh, we've, we've got the uh, – sorry, Coach, we've got the um, inaugural – Homestand this weekend, got Martinsville for two, and then we've got uh, Statesville on Sunday. What are you expecting from the fans, from the ballpark? You get an opportunity to play in the same ballpark as the Winston-Salem Dash. That's not an opportunity a lot of other teams in the, in this league get afforded. Well, what's the mindset like for this ball club? Oh, the, the mindset for this ball club tonight, and if I can kind of be transparent, is uh is trying to put on a show it, you know as much as we're trying to on a show outside of anything that baseball can control that the other side is doing those guys are trying to go out there and play tonight they want to have a good time they're excited this this is why they came being the carolina disco turkeys is to get to play at this stadium in this venue and in this atmosphere that we're creating looks like the weather's going to be great held off for us and uh, and man I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what these guys are bringing tonight because uh, i'm excited to see what i'm bringing tonight so if, if i'm doing it i'm sure they are and as we know you're you're a pretty eccentric coach out there at third base uh you make the turkey call a, a, a thing uh, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to if we hit enough home runs. I'm, I'm excited to wear my jacket tonight. Hopefully the weather permits. Sure. I mean, it's nothing crazy, but uh, got a nice little sequins jacket that hopefully I'm going to put on out there. And that's why I was saying, you know, uh, I, I really wanted to go out and get some of those nice orange shoes for myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some fun out there. I like, uh, I think summer ball is kind of perfect for just where, where I am as a coach right now as well, too. Just trying to be uh, player minded and then also just as into the game as possible. So hey, you're animated over there at third base because you know what is it it does is tries to bring the moment to the hitter as much as possible and in, in trying to bring in that focus and you know without being as, as distracted not necessarily trying to crack jokes at him you know just making him aware of the situation that much more maybe a sequence of pitching that they didn't understand uh or or try to get on the same page and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't yeah totally um Let's talk about these first couple of games uh, against CPL squads, and then you had the game kind of intermixed in between there with uh, the Locos, which is a league game. W- what did you see from this ball club the first three games? Well, uh, you know, plain and simple, you know, if you look at the schedule, knowing where we're at, any book at it and go, hey, that team's supposed to start one and three. You know, that we're playing three CPL teams uh, off the bat out of our first four games before we really get into a bigger stretch of our league competition. So what I saw from our guys is that we can compete. 
Yeah, we uh, we don't have our entire arsenal with us right now. And as we go back, get a chance to play the high toms again later in the season a couple more times, I think we'll compete even better. But all three of those games uh, against CPL teams, one of which that we won, uh, I believe that we showed that we deserve to be on the field with them. And you know what? A, a team like – and because in all those games, we had major opportunities at different points to make it even more so that we, uh, we just couldn't take advantage of on the offensive side of things. Pitching uh, kept us in it, and then you know, we just ran out of gas a little bit for ourselves. they're supposed to do and put up a beginning. Uh, you, you talked about the win Saturday night uh, against the high toms. That was a, a massive win for this ball club in, in the first game to go out and beat uh, a, a team uh, of the allure, the stature of the, of the high point Thomasville high toms, the class of the CPL for so long, a historic ball club to go out there in the first game in team history and get a victory. It's that that's huge. It, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It was a lot of fun for sure for these guys. To, to get to have that uh, positive momentum moving forward for themselves and the kind of team that they can be as, as they continue to put it together. And I can tell you, you know, getting a chance to play uh, the high times again, uh, they, they wanted us for sure. They gave us a good game. And like I said, we competed for a minute and they got it. Now uh, hopefully we get to go back and get the third one the next time we, we play them. But it, it's been a lot of fun to play that kind of level of competition. And I know these guys are excited to still keep playing good baseball teams, but Hey, you know, your cap to another squad in this league. If we're going to, and they go out there and they put together a coastal plain league roster you know, for, for themselves. I think that we got a good squad that can compete with those type of teams. And then given in our league, I believe that we're going to go out every day, believing that we got a chance to win. And that's gotta be the mindset, right? You, you know, uh, as you said, not, not all the weapons are here, but you get a guy like AC plum from rice. You're able to throw him out there. Uh, gets the Locos Tuesday, or excuse me, gets the High Toms Wednesday night. Uh, from from what I saw, sitting by the third base dugout, looked pretty good in his first outing. <laughs> it's going to be fun to tout him out there for sure, too. I'm really excited about uh, Chase Jesse as well, too. He's been a great lefty for us, and and all of our pitching to this point has has been great and done what we needed. Uh, we just are waiting for the rest of our guys to continue getting here, so we can go through this full season and and protect everybody that we have, because you know. And is, is, is prime, but at the same time, got to make sure to send these guys all back better than the way that I found them. Yeah, and, and that's your job, right, as a coach, is to kind of prepare these guys sort of for the next level, to, just to get these guys to playing time and the experience. That's that's the importance of summer ball that, you know, a lot of a lot of fans that are going to be new to this this ball club and this uh, this style of baseball might not necessarily know. Yeah, absolutely, and it's, it's very interesting because – yeah, you know, hey, you're putting together a product that you want to showcase the, your abilities and you want to showcase that you're going to win. You want to put your best lineup out there. But at the same exact time, you've also got everybody that deserves their opportunity to get their chances and get their work in so that they can get what the plan was to get better during the summer, to go back into the fall at whatever school they go to and compete for a chance to, you know, have a positive contributions on their team. So the way that it has to be put to these young men is, look, you're not going to play every day. It's just going to be plain and simple. But uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing and having some fun on this team is we're going to kind of leave it up to them. You know, it's it's I'm going to reserve my right as, as a judgment as a coach to make the changes that I need at any given time. But I've kind of put it on the guys and said, hey, you want to play? Get a hit. You want to you want to you want to know that you're in the lineup the next day. You're going to have a good day the day before. And if you don't, 
expect that your number might not get called the next day and it's the next guy's job to go in and do his job. Is that for sure going to be the case with every single game? No, but I mean, on, on some day, be four or five different guys in the lineup on the next game. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, it, it, again, it, it's your job as the head coach to make sure these guys are, as you said, they're, they're better off from when they got to you as, as to when, when they depart. Um, give us some guys to watch offensively. We know Hayden Setzer can really hit and sheesh. He, he really pitched good. The, uh, I, the I liked that. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun to watch him do both of those for sure. Uh, and, and as you know, two way asset, got to just make sure to prepare prepare them and take care of them as they as they go through but uh man uh you're gonna make me name the entire roster if you're gonna tell me guys that i'm excited about watching for sure uh right off the bat somebody that's been fun just that they move around the field hey statistics right now with the batting average might not talk about everything but Dion Tubbs has been an excellent leadoff hitter for us so far and anytime he's on on base he's moving so I mean I believe he's either got four or five stolen bases already in our, in our first couple of games and uh, and and he's going to be a guy that again like I said he's going to find his way on he's going to be scrappy he's going to use those wheels and he's going to he's going to be one that he keeps himself in the lineup uh, time because i think it's just a fun thing who wants to be the person to go out there and have a 40 game history you know <laughs> if you earn it you know I'll, I'll give it to you but you got to go out there and be the one that, that decides to earn it but uh, additional offensive pieces that i'm pretty excited about uh one that'll be here pretty soon is uh alex canty uh, he's from lindenwood which is a top 10 uh, uh, d2 program uh they finished just shy of being able to make the d2 college world series and he was a major component in there on the offensive side uh, especially as a, as a senior and that's the bigger thing of why I'm so excited about getting him is is the the experience. A lot of these guys are very talented, but they're also still using this summer experience for an opportunity to kind of get those reps that they've been missing and, and catch back up with the guys that are in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you look at uh, some of the guys on the roster already, um, guy from Davidson, like Cooler and, and – uh, um, Kid from Wake Forest, you know that the, these are guys. That's that, going to be a fun one, man. Uh, he's go ahead. Oh no, Henry's going to have a great, a great year. Uh, you know, one of the things exactly, you know, first couple of games, you, you just can't look at numbers. You got to, you got to be able to look at what did you do personally and and be able to move forward to to. you know your best at bats because this sport is predicated on failure and it is not if you fail it is how you handle when you fail and you're going to be one of the best players around being unsuccessful seven out of ten times so you have to be able to truly take in and 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 work on what you did positively in those seven uh, to to get those three so that you don't tank yourself and and have none of the ten There's there's a reason why uh, things start to skew and, and wheat wheels up mentally a lot in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I actually ran into him uh, Wednesday night coming out of the bathroom. He was putting on eye black, and he was you know he told me he, he was like <laughs> I, I got to change the mojo. And I told him I was like it's not like you're having bad at bats. You're just not getting the bounces. You just keep doing what you're doing out there. It's, I mean that that's what he's got to do, especially if you're if you're coming a D one outfielder like him. And of course uh, we've got. Uh, uh, Trey Coleman coming from Utah Valley, the catcher, a uh, really good guy. And we've got uh, 
Got the kid from ECU coming as well as, uh, but they've got a, they got a regional to host this weekend, so that's a little bit more important to them, I think, than or to him right now. But you know, when he comes here, he's going to be a stud. But uh, this weekend's going to be fun, and this, as you know, Kirk is a very talented group in a league that uh, a league with a lot of ball clubs that uh, we don't really know a whole lot about yet. Um, being this is the first year of this club, this is one of the most talented teams in this in this group. Uh, I definitely feel that way, absolutely, and uh, and I know you know we got a chance to play the Locos already, and they're they're a good group of guys. Got a great coach over there for themselves as well, too. Are always year in and year out going to be able to put in uh, some good offensive pieces, being kind of a feeder team at times for the CPL High Toms. So you know they've got a good thing going for themselves, and uh, so do the other teams. I know that they're going to put out good talent, but uh, I also just really believe that. When it comes down to it, the way that I saw our group compete against, uh, you know, that top level talent team uh, kind of put us up against whatever team we're going to face uh, now and say, you know, who's going to win baseball on this day. Win each inning, win each outing, then you win the game. Coach Kirk Cabana of the Carolina Disco Turkeys, thanks so much for coming on. Folks, if you want to make it out to Truist Stadium this weekend, tickets, just $7. No capacity limits, of course, as that's been lifted. Come on out to the ballpark. And if you can't, join Graham Tuck and myself on the Carolina Disco Turkeys YouTube. We'll have all the action for you this weekend. Coach, thanks so much. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it, man. That'll do it for this week of The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Again, if you can't make it out to Shura Stadium, join us on YouTube. We hope that you do. Enjoy the rest of your sports weekend, folks. Road to Omaha is also underway. Watch college baseball. It's going to be fun.